is the Modern Conservative Podcast with John Harvey. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Americans, and so forth and so on. My name is John Harvey, and this is the Modern Conservative Podcast, broadcasted to you from the great state of Utah. We were heard around the world in many countries. Last time I checked, there was a total of seven different countries that listened to our podcast. Um, you can look me up on the on tmcpnation.com, TMPC, tmcpnation.com, or the Modern Conservative Podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and now Tickety Talk. Um, today, I want to welcome a friend of the show. Um, he's a resident of the state of of the great state of Utah, and he's running for public office, and that is Mr. Bruce Huff. Bruce, how are you doing? Doing great, John. Great to be with you today. Uh, good to have you. You know, a lot of people speak highly of you, Bruce. So I said, you know what? Hey, I need to get good people on my show because that's kind of what I like to do. And the people, you know, said that uh, this was a man you needed to talk to. As a matter of fact, I got a phone call for somebody that's not on your campaign saying, hey, would you be interested in speaking with this gentleman and let the people of Utah and other places elsewhere know who he really is? So, Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, look, I have been in the state since uh, 1978. Uh, before that, I, I grew up in a small town in Idaho. Uh, I learned kind of the, the uh, lessons of hard work from my parents uh, my grandfather, who for some reason I was at the appropriate age where whenever he needed work done on the farm, uh, I was the guy he called. Uh, or he was the he, he would call my mother and say, have Bruce ready at 6 a.m. so we can go out and work on the farm. So we would be uh, uh, bucking bales of hay and, and hill and potatoes and doing doing those normal things. Uh, but I always had sort of this... Um, um, upbringing that said you kind of have to earn your own way you have to do if you want something go out and earn it uh if actually if you need something go out and earn it i can remember in the third grade walking across the street from the optometrist's office to my bank withdrawing 50 dollars and walking back to the optometrist to pay him in cash for my first set of eyeglasses and um you know i did we just there was expectations on us to just pay your own way. Uh, I always had a job. I actually worked in, you know, everything from being a hod carrier for a stonemason, which was dang hard work. Um, but it was great work because I'd get called in the morning, uh, early in the morning on the house phone, wake everybody up. And, and the guy would call me and he'd say, Bruce, you want to earn $50 today? And $50 in those days, that was that was when minimum wage was a buck 65 so earning 50 dollars was gold and i would skip school to go <laughs> so i learned hard work i i always had a job until i i served a a mission for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and i went to central america panama costa rica nicaragua honduras the san blas islands um, it was a wonderful experience, and it's where I not only learned to speak Spanish, but uh, I really learned to love uh, the Latin people. And I grew to have a, an affinity uh, for their culture and for their customs and, and language, and really just for the people, and really grew to love them. And to this day, I do a lot of work in those countries 
to help teach self-reliance, to help them become, as we say in Spanish, autosuficiente, so they can really take care of their own well-being. And, you know, it's interesting, even in a country like Honduras, that's mm-hmm. 50% unemployment rate. If they can get a job there, they will stay there. They won't come to our border to try to cross the border into our country. Uh, it's a very interesting thing. People think, oh, everybody just wants to come to America. No, not everybody wants to come. They'd really much rather stay in their own country if they had a way to earn a proper living. So um, after that, I, I did a little schooling. Uh, I worked in radio. I was a rock and roll DJ and, and learned to do news. I actually worked for KSL Radio uh, wow. doing news for a couple of years. Uh, it's I changed. Have a, I have I have a, I have a, a face for radio, so that's sort of where I stuck. Um, but I I had a, this really cool opportunity. I was in the right place, the right time, with the right opportunity to help create a, a whole new industry in communications. That was a satellite broadcast industry, and uh, we just got to invent doing the coolest things instead of flying videotapes cross country to air on a TV station, uh, we, we did it live via satellite. So it didn't happen until uh, we really kind of created that industry. Uh, one of my great regrets of that, uh, I, I say facetiously, is I helped CNN get on the air. Uh, who would have thought 24-hour news would actually be a thing. Uh, but they, it couldn't have happened without, without the satellite. So we were really part of that burgeoning new industry that just happened and it was a lot of fun i i uh, i after we sold that company i actually served as the chairman of the republican party in the state of utah for two terms i was only going to do one term but had my arm twisted a little bit by a couple of our a governor and a senator to stay on and by the way i don't i don't uh suggest for one minute that i was any great shakes uh just that I think they thought it's better to have the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Uh, yes. They saw that what I had done for two years, and they said, okay, let's keep that guy in place because uh, the senator was getting ready to run for office again. And it was like, well, let's don't change horses in the middle of a race. So uh, I did that for four years, and then it was rescued uh, by a, a partner uh, where we had a little capital company. And we started a nutritional supplement company uh, that uh, is still here today and based in the state of Utah. Uh, we took it public in 98 and uh, we grew it to a, a nice enterprise and uh, we employed, you know, well over a thousand people in this state and created jobs not only in the state, but in the second district for which uh, the district in which I'm running. And uh, we, you know, we uh, learned some really important things. One of the things that we learned is that sometimes you have to stand up and fight for what you believe in. And as a company, we were being... Um, tested by the FDA. Our whole industry was being tested by the FDA. Uh, They wanted to promulgate a whole new rule on how to regulate us. This was not a rule that the Congress had passed or had had authorized and was not in the legislative intent. And so we decided to push back and no one joined us. I mean, Sean, think about this. We're one company. There's hundreds and hundreds of companies out there in our business. And there are trade associations that represent us, but everyone was afraid that the FDA would be punitive with them if they were to get involved. So we sued them all by ourselves. And we won on the issue that was most important, which was 
they could not promulgate that rule to regulate our industry. Later, Senator Orrin Hatch uh, came to me and he said, he says, Bruce, he says, I don't think that people in the industry truly understand that you may have, as a company, you may have saved this industry. And uh, that would have in turn saved thousands of jobs in this state. And this is a multi-billion dollar business in the state today. So it was a uh, it was an important part. For me, it showed, number one, a federal agency um, can be beat when they overreach their responsibility or their scope and what they're supposed to be doing. And if an outsider like me could beat a federal agency, you know, like our company did, then how much more effective could I be in Congress helping to rein in the overreach of these federal agencies? And so I'm really anxious to get in there and, and do that. Um, so really the reason I'm in this race uh, is I, I tell it's that it sounds very stump speechy, but it's actually the main reason. I have 10 children. My wife and I do, Deborah, and I have 10 children. Wow. We have 22 grandchildren, and we have a $34 trillion debt. And that debt is has the potential, real potential, of robbing my children and grandchildren and, and yours and all of those who are watching and listening, their children and grandchildren, rob from them the promise of America. And I've had a, a wonderful life. Uh, that certainly came about as a as a uh, result of hard work and effort, but it also is because the opportunity was there. We were able to do something. We were able to sort of make the magic happen and create jobs and help other families, you know, pay their mortgages and and pay the rent and clothe and feed their children. I mean, those were those were wonderful outcomes of of what we did in creating jobs and creating businesses. But wow, with what's going on right now, it scares me to death that that you ever be there. At any time, did you ever think the national deficit would come to be where it is to now, is now? I mean, it took us what many, 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 many years to get to nine trillion dollars when Obama came into office. Then it went from in his term went to eighteen trillion dollars, and now we're at thirty-two, thirty-four trillion dollars. Astro, astro, how do you recover from that? And, you know, as as you're running for United States Congress, can the Congress really rescind programs to get the deficit down? Because it seems like well, they, said they, they, they say they are going to save in this area, but they'll spend more money in others. And how does yeah. that equate? Actually, the Congress is the only entity that can get this under control. It's not a president. It's not... Uh, a court. It is the it is the Congress of the United States, and the House in particular has appropriations and has the purse strings as its responsibility. So the reason for being here in the House, the People's House, is to really just say, look, we have to learn to say no. And to stop, we shouldn't be doing these earmarking pork barrel spending projects. We got rid of those a number of years ago. Now they're back. Yeah. And it's like, oh, does this, do we need another library over here? Well, need is relative, right? Do we need a library or, or do we need more money in the classroom? Let's don't spend money on things just to bring the bacon home to our district. So that means 
we have to learn to say no. And saying no is not easy. And look, Republicans are as guilty as Democrats when it comes to spending. Uh, even you know, look, even during the last Republican administration, the economy was on a go, go, go trajectory. So we just did spend, spend, spend too. It was like, oh yeah, it's all good. So we're going to continue. So, no, when things are going great, that's a great time to actually ratchet back the spending so we get it under control without undue difficulties because all we have to do is get the economy not the economy but get the the uh, the growth of government to slow down to maybe one percent growth that's not even cutting anything that's just saying let's just grow one percent if we can just grow one percent the growth of the economy will then help us actually reduce the debt now what if we and by the way when you say you're going to slow the growth of government down to 1%, what do Democrats call that? You're cutting the budget. Oh, no, you're cutting the budget. No, we're not cutting the budget. We're slowing the growth. Uh, but, you know, they want to spend 4% more next year, and we only want to spend 1% more next year. It's not a cut to say we're only going to spend 1% more. That's not a cut. That's no, still 1%. So stop it. This semantic, this messaging that is going on, getting everybody all riled up. We're not cutting anything. Now, should we cut stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are departments that exist, like the Department of Education. There is no constitutional authority for having a Department of Education. It's We just created it out of whole cloth. It doesn't need to exist. Uh, I probably cannot abolish the... Uh, you know, the Department of Education without 60 senators to support me. Uh, but what we can begin to do is what we need to do from a constitutional standpoint. We need, and look, I'm a big 9th, 10th, 14th Amendment guy. It, it, look, the, the uh, states have the power. Right. And those, those amendments enumerate the powers, you know, that the federal government can have, right? They don't very limited powers unless we just get to them or abrogate our responsibility or if they just take them and we don't do anything about it so let's just push as much as we can as long as the federal government's still collecting the taxes like they are and i don't think they should collect them the way they are but that's another discussion but if they've got the money they collected five trillion dollars last year they spent six and a half by the way and they you have $5 trillion. Why not say, okay, anything that isn't constitutionally mandated to be spent at the federal level, like national defense, which is, let's block grant that back to the states. Let's let them actually do the work of allocating how those resources ought to be used. For example, in classrooms, if you just block granted about seven to eight percent of the education budget, that's the entire K through 12 budget. And you could then add $30,000, boom, right to uh, every classroom. And it can be done at the local level. So what, what should it go for? Should it go for teacher salaries? Should it go for supplies and, and books? Should, should it go towards air conditioning in the schools that don't have air conditioning in August? I mean, what should it go for? Let the local school districts and the parents decide what it goes for. So those block grants, there's three kinds in the federal government. Those block grants should be unrestricted block grants, meaning Here's the money you spend it the way you see fit. You know, 
a lot of the problem you mentioned Department of Education on the federal side. But here's my problem, Bruce. We get a lot of politicians on the Republican side. They run for office. They get in for office. They tell us everything they're going to do when they get there. But when they get there, you need you, nothing ever happens. And then you're even lucky if you ever see them fighting for anything. For example, the Republicans have had the House and the Senate and 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 the um, the White House several times. But the same problems we talk about today were the same problems that existed years ago. And no one seems to want to do anything about it because I think if you get rid of the problem, then you got to find another problem to fix. So they don't, we'll just stick with, you know, the housing, the education issue. And we won't talk about it. We'll just pretend we're going to do something about it every four to six years with, with the Senate. So what's the difference in you, for example, than, for example, maybe a Burgess or maybe a Chris or maybe a, a John Curtis? What makes you special? over the incumbents that sit in high seats right now in our states? So, first of all, I don't think I'm special at all. I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm really just a regular guy. We uh, like that. I'm a regular guy who's had to balance a budget, who who actually had to create a budget, a zero-sum budget every year, not a cost-plus budget like the federal government, and and had to make hard decisions like, who do you hire and who do you fire? Mm -hmm. uh, signing both sides of a paycheck. The things that that you have to do to be successful in business. And, and by the way, business is nothing more than a vehicle for helping people live their lives, either as a consumer or as an employee or as a shareholder or, or as a supplier. This is they exist to provide services and goods uh, in in society to help each other live the life they choose to live. So what's different? Okay. Number one, uh, first of all, I'm not climbing a political ladder. Um, I, 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 there, and there's nothing in Washington that I want or need. So right. it's this liberating kind of aspect of life, right? Nobody has what I want or need. I don't need anything from them. I What I need to do is focus on the possibilities what a lot of people do is they love to get in front of the camera and use the rhetoric about the Hail Mary pass they're going to throw on getting something done. To me, let's just be real, folks. There is limited things we can do, but Thank you. we can do something. And so it will not be sexy for a lot of people to see that I gain an inch on a policy. But what they may not notice then is that I'm going to gain another inch a little later and then another inch a little later and pretty soon we're going to be into the end zone because it's a game of inches so we need to focus on what the possibilities are and then we need to create coalitions now why am i better at that well i've done it in politics both as on the national and the the, the local state level in in um, the republican party in my service to the party for some 30 years, but I also have done it in business and in the nonprofit sector where you have disparate views and you are going to have a lot of different views in Congress. But here's how I think we do it differently. Number one, we start from a position where contempt is never an option in the way we treat people. We do not treat people with contempt and we do not disrespect them or their beliefs. Number two, 
we listen and try to understand what their principles and their values are. They're going to tell us their positions all day long. This is my position. I will not move off of this red line. This is my position. I don't really care about their positions. I really care about their values and their principles. Because if I can understand those, and if they will take them the, the time to understand mine, we're going to find some commonality in a value or a principle. Even though we may, on positions, be very far apart, we're going to find some commonality when it comes to values and principles. And when they know that I am interested in enough in, a, enough in them as a human being to understand their principles and values, they're going to have a more trusting relationship. Uh, now, I'm not naive. There are people who will try to manipulate and try to roll you over and do all those things. But there are enough good people who will want to actually accomplish something, I believe, if they're given a chance, if they're treated with respect, that you can have then this respectful, solution-oriented conflict over the policy by finding principles and values that you agree on. This is what, this is what Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy did. Uh, they disagreed fundamentally on so many issues, but when they got to certain principles and values, they would find commonality and they would be able to accomplish something. And uh, that's lacking right now. We we talk about the lack of civility. We should not be demonizing people that we disagree with. And we will have many, many disagreements. But a disagreement is different than contempt for the other person. And we need to make that distinction and draw that distinction brightly and clearly uh, between people. You know, um Nowadays, you know, the the Democrat Party back when Kennedy and, and Hatch was around, it's completely different. Yeah. The Democrat Party nowadays is either all or nothing for the most part. And they push yeah. some of the most lucrative, most, um, how do I say this word without swearing? Their, 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 their ideology doesn't work well with those of us on the conservative side yeah. at all. But to nowadays, that's okay, it seems like. So my next question is, but here you... Way, sorry, John, that's why it is so important. It is more important that we increase our majority in the House and that we, we regain the Senate. It's more important that we do that than even getting the presidency. We need to we need to get the Senate and we need to get the House. And, and if, if someone were to give me the choice, I would say I'll take the Senate any day because if we have both chambers of congress we can actually get things done we were able to do a lot of things during the clinton era because we had both the house and the senate even though we had a democrat president now i have no idea who the democrat president would even be in the next couple of years because i don't know that biden's going to last uh, and i don't mean that you know i'm not predicting anything bad happening but well there could be a lot of things bad. He could be indicted and put in jail. He could be, you know, he could have a, you know, a, a health problem. Uh, but we don't know who presidents are going to be. And here's the thing. Um, presidents come and go, ones we like and ones we don't like. And what we need to be able to do is codify our way of passing laws and actually getting laws out of the code uh, so that those things can move forward. For example, uh, we Congress gave 
the presidency more power than they should have in the Antiquities Act by giving him the power, him or her, the power to create monuments. Well, let's just take it away. The Congress has the power to do it. You know, we have this yo-yo system of going with, you know, uh, Obama passes one and, and Trump shrinks it down or takes it away. Then Biden takes it back. People can't plan. You have no ability. There's no consistency in, in how we administer things. So let's just take that away from the president so it cannot be used as a political tool. It's a congressional act, for heaven's sakes. Keep it away from the president. All these executive orders have yeah. muddied the water dramatically. I That's one thing I really wish the Congress would do. Now, look, I've always said this in politics. The same things that make you laugh for four years are the same thing can make you cry the next four years. And so my thoughts are simply, let's just get rid of executive orders because they're so easily to overturn with the follow-up administration. Like, for example, the gas and oil situation in our country. Exactly. Hey. We, we're energy independent just a couple of years ago. And by executive order, we are now energy dependent and on enemies of this country. And there is no reason for it other than executive orders. And it's a completely nonsensical thing to allow that to happen. Uh, we shouldn't, not only should we be energy independent, we should be energy dominant, and we should be the ones selling uh, net energy that we don't need, because right. we have it, and send it to Europe and let them become independent from Russia. Russia. And make some money and pay down our deficit. Make some money and get paid back for what we spent in Ukraine and some other places over there, right? I mean, let's let's get paid back by selling net energy to Europe. And by the way, then they can also, you know, up their ante on NATO and do their 2% of GDP and be the force that they should be in their own uh, territory. Well, because it's obvious that we're not going to get our money back out of Af Afghanistan. That's for sure. <laughs> we left $70 billion <laughs> worth of armaments on the ground. Uh, you know, and then we left thousands of allies there. And we we lost lives of American uh, servicemen because that thing was so botched by Biden. This is where votes have consequences, John. This is where who you vote for or if you vote at all has consequences. If you think about what happened in 2016, you know, we elected a president that nobody saw coming. Nobody expected, including the president himself. He didn't know right. he was going to vote. Right. Kind of a surprise <laughs> to him, too. It was, so, it was so surprising. He had eight people on his staff. And if the Republican National Party, of which I was a part, had not prepared for four consecutive years to raise the money and create the infrastructure, that's what got him elected, ultimately. It was we had that all prepared for President Trump in 2016. We didn't have that prepared in 2012 for Mitt Romney, and he did not win. Uh, we we learned that Obama had a four-year cycle for presidency, and we had always worked on a two-year cycle. So when it came time for the 2016 election, we had a four-year cycle, too, and we were prepared. But look what happened. It, votes have consequences. We we're talking about the, the war in, in Afghanistan, the, the conflict there. We would never have exited if President Trump had still been in power the way that we exited there. It was that was a Biden mishap. 
we we've gone from two dollar gallon gas to four and a half dollar gas right here in the state of Utah. We we have tripled, almost quadrupled inflation since uh, Biden was was in power. And by the way, in your audience, is there anybody who doesn't think having three additional conservatives on the court is maybe the most incredible thing that's ever happened in our lifetime? That's a blessing. We had court decisions this year that I thought I would never see (laughs) in my lifetime. But here's the point. I voted for Trump in 2016. We had four years of really good policies. And you can like or hate the man. Uh, it's it's look, he's got some personality issues and character issues. I Agreed. am not, I get it. Those four years, and then your choice was Joe Biden. You knew enough already at the time that Joe Biden was being elected that he was not going to be anything near what we had in the previous four years. You knew that he had his son was dirty. You knew that he probably was too. You knew that we had uh that his history. Uh, in the Senate was was enough information anyone could have to not vote for him. And yet my two opponents, one voted for Biden in 2020, and the other one did not vote at all. Speaking of which, you say and you get that's kind of like a mind explode situation. I mean, not only did Becky vote for Biden, she voted for Obama in 2008. Not only did did Celeste Malloy not vote for the president uh, for anyone, she didn't even vote in 2020. She didn't vote in four of the last elections. If you look at her voting record, she's maybe 50 percent across her, her life. The voting has consequences. What happened in Afghanistan, what's happened in these last two years, three years, these are consequences of either voting for the wrong person or withholding your vote. So in this election, there's only one person who has ever voted for Donald Trump. Now, again, there's things that I'm not fond of there, but that record was a sterling record. And he deserved to be reelected on that basis alone. Uh, today, we have other candidates. We're going to see what happens as they debate and go through things. It's going to be fun to see uh, how it all turns out. Yeah, you know, we're going to run a little longer than usual today because uh, this is a good conversation. And uh, But you mentioned Becky Edwards. So I had a conversation with Mike Lee when he was running, get, getting reelected. And I remember Becky Edwards telling her constituents to vote as register as Republicans. Now, only a Democrat would tell Democrats to do that. And that particular Democrat probably did the same thing herself because she knew in in Utah, you're not going to really win those seats if you're not a at least of all a conservative, nonetheless a Republican, because you have to register as a convert as a Republican in our state. Yeah. So she's back again now. <laughs> now she's running for the United States Congress. My problem with Becky Edwards, obviously, is she's a Democrat posing as a Republican. But I have the same issue with Celeste. I've seen some posting and people have sent me some things where she and she endorsed Black Lives Matter. Um, things where she has never voted. She doesn't live in the state as a resident. Now, she says she has a place with her sister. 
And it's causing a lot of issues with we, the people here in Utah. And I know there's some kind of lawsuit going on as well, trying to stop her from participating in the race. Let me get your take on, first of all, Becky Edwards posing as a so as a Republican, because her ads are saying she's one of the most conservative <laughs> candidates in this race. And I'm thinking, what damn state is she from? Because it's not Utah race. But what's your thoughts on that? Well, look, you know, I'm not really even running against them. I'm I'm running for Congress. But right. the, the point I made just a minute ago, look, look what your voting record is. Uh, the voting record, it tells you a lot about who's running. One has voted for Democrats for president in election years when we were having success with the Republican president. Uh, others didn't vote. Celeste did not vote. And has, she doesn't have a good record of voting at all. Uh, it's it's sort of remarkable. Uh, there, there's just to clarify a couple of things. One, um, you know, Celeste, uh, who, by the way, we have debated 11 times and there, you know, Becky never showed up once. And we're going to have another debate tomorrow. Uh, um, and with, I don't know when this podcast airs, but let's just say uh, Wednesday, the 23rd of August. And that's going to be our our 12th debate. Becky, my understanding, is not coming. Uh, Celeste is coming. I give her credit for showing up and being a part of the debate, being a part of the discussion. Uh, and there are a lot of things that we agree on. But we disagree vehemently on the importance of a vote. And the fact that she did not show up, this is a this is a right and a privilege and a duty of an American citizen that is protected by our our men and women in the armed forces. I had a father, a brother and an uncle who all served in the military who literally protect that right, duty and privilege to vote. Uh, it's an essential thing. As I talk to people around the district, uh, when they find out that Becky voted for Biden, they kind of roll their eyes and go, well, she's a Democrat. When you are, when they find out that Celeste simply didn't vote, they it's more visceral. It's like what, what? That's terrible. I mean, it's it's actually they're more passionately disturbed by that than someone voting for Biden, uh, which was sort of a surprise to me. But it actually makes sense when you think about it. Uh, you know, the thing is, this state actually has one of the best vote by mail programs in the country. The reason it works so well is because we purge our rolls uh, from anyone who hasn't voted in two consecutive elections, they get dropped from automatic receiving a ballot in the mail. So by the way, if any of your listeners and watchers did not get a ballot, it probably means you did not vote in one of the last two elections. So go register again. And, and if you're a Republican, register as a Republican and you'll be back on the rolls. Well, And if you're a Democrat, stay home. Don't worry about it. We'll got you covered. Exactly. Uh, so Celeste uh, had missed sufficient numbers of voting and uh, was therefore no longer registered to vote. She, if she had gone to vote at, at, a, at a place, they said, oh, you need to register again. That's what they would have told her. Oh, you need to register. And um, and so she declared with a sort of like an affidavit. You say, I am qualified to run for the U.S. Congress under the U.S. Constitution and the laws of the state and et cetera. 
And so she declared that she was going to run for this office. One of the requirements was, is that if you're going to run in the Republican primary, you have to be a Republican uh, registered uh, in, in the party. That's a party rule as well. So it turns out because she hadn't voted that she was no longer on the rolls and she declared that she was. So that was wrong. And she's an attorney and she should be more careful about this stuff. And candidly, the LG's office should have verified every one of us who came in. And there were 13 of us who filed for office, should have verified every single one that day. It's very easy to look up and see, oh, are you a registered voter? Are you a registered Republican? And they didn't do that. I think they'll probably do that in the future. Uh, <laughs> but but a couple of days after the deadline for declaring your candidacy, the LG's office called um, Celeste and said, oh, by the way, you need to come in and register because you're not a registered Republican. So she did. After so the deadline? Now, so not after the deadline. So she's now a registered Republican uh, voter in the state. That was less than 60 days ago. So the, the real problem occurred here. If the LG's office was going to give her a pass on actually being qualified when she declared, they should have at least announced it to the public that this occurred and that they were making this an exception to the rule. But they did not. And it was not disclosed until actually Brian Schott, bless his soul at the Tribune, found out that this happened. And after the convention, it became disclosed. Now, I will tell you that the convention, and I know you're friends with Greg Hughes, and he's a friend of mine too. Uh, Greg Hughes was the front runner going into this convention. Now, the convention was in Delta, which moved it away from the Wasatch Front. And even though it's sort of midway in the district, it, it is perceptibly closer to the South. And nine of the 13 candidates were from the southern part of the district. They worked really hard to get their voters, their constituents, people that know them out of the South to show up for that convention. So there were more people from the South at that convention than there were from the North. And so those of us who thought that Greg was probably going to win that because he had just run with those same delegates uh, a year before for governor, that you know, he uh, at the very end was not successful because uh, the two of the top candidates, Malloy and Jordan Hess, Jordan threw his support to uh, Celeste Malloy, and she won by a swing of 16 votes. Now, I, I can guarantee you, based on my conversations in the district, that it had people known before the convention that Celeste had not been a registered Republican voter on the day that she that she was supposed to be, be when the deadline had occurred, uh, she would not have won that election. Uh, I, I've had more than than 30, 40, 50 people tell me that personally who were delegates at that convention. Uh, so to me, the convention is a little bit of a and here's the problem. The convention was different because under a special election, the party and the state had decided that instead of needing 60 percent to come out of convention uh, as a solo candidate, that you could come out as a single candidate with just 50 plus one, 50 percent plus one. And there was no opportunity to have more than two candidates uh, come out of the convention. Only one was going to be allowed. Neither the state nor the party allowed more than one candidate to come out of the convention. That is unusual, to say the least, never done, 
except for in a special election. And this was so truncated that a lot of things happened, obviously, that probably shouldn't have happened. But the party was, you know, they they kind of they certified her after they found out what happened. But what were they going to do? They were out of time. I mean, the, the campaign is already half over. Are you going to start over? You can't do that either. And when the lawsuit was filed against Celeste, the judge, he didn't exonerate anybody. He just said, hey, <laughs> I can't do a temporary restraining order because it wouldn't be temporary. It would be a permanent restraining order because by the time we actually got around to adjudicating this, the, the election's over. So it's one of those things where you just have to look at it and go, okay, we throw up our hands and say, all right, mistakes were made. We're just going to proceed with the election the way it is. So for me, so basically, people, so people have been a little upset about that. So, so basically, we're going to accept it. And basically, for all intents and purposes, factually, she's a illegitimate president. I mean, a candidate because she was after the deadline. I mean, my problem with this whole thing is simply this. You know, if it was been somebody else that wasn't pushed by Chris Stewart or pushed by Deidre Henderson, they would have been told you cannot register. You're out. You're out. The problem I have with this is because who she is and who she's friends with and of, they let it slip. The problem is I have is that we in the state, we just let it happen. We do whatever yeah. we have to do to rectify because it's kind of like you can't say, hey, somebody says I robbed the store yesterday. But you didn't find out about it until today, so I should go free. No, look, it's look, not how we, it works. We have had candidates who have announced their candidacies, who have spent money, who have gotten organized, uh, only to go on vacation with their family to Disneyland and then realize, oh, oops, I was supposed to be in person registering for that office. And because they weren't there the day that it had to be done, they weren't, no matter what they had done, they didn't matter. They were not a candidate for office because once the deadline passed, it passed, right? And right. I think it has to be fairly applied. But look, the, the way the judge looked at it, the way I suggested to the person that did the lawsuit, because I told them I didn't think it would do any good to, to do a lawsuit. Um, the, the judge would say something like, look, the Republican Party is a private organization. It's convenient to say that when... You know, Necessary. you want it to be so. They're a private organization and they certified her as their candidate. Therefore, we're going to let that stand and we're not going to do the TRO because it would end up being a permanent restraining order because of the time frame. So, you know, it's convenient to be able to say, oh, they're a private organization. They get to make their own decision on who their candidate is. But of course, we know that's not true because the state actually pays for and administers elections and they tell us what we can and cannot do in a number of cases, i.e. SB 54. That's a perfect example. Right, exactly. So before we run out of time, let me talk to you about some things that are going on in our state and that you uh, may be able to help change or set a different pathway from where we're going now. For example, the die the die programs, diversity, equity, and inclusions. Well, <laughs> so give me your thoughts on look, John. Uh, look, I, somebody had a good idea at one time, and they thought that diversity, equity, inclusion would be a good idea. The problem is, the wrong people are administering it and interpreting it. And their goals are different than what those words say. Today, DEI really stands for uh, division, exclusion, and intolerance. That's yes. what DEI has become. And it is. It, we see the evidence of that 
uh, in military. We see, I mean, look, look what happened to Georgia when Georgia was rewriting their election laws to actually make them safer, more equitable, make them more fair, uh, actually make them more accessible. The, the DEI vice presidents from Coca-Cola and from Delta talk to their CEOs and say, oh, you, you're, you have to be against this. They are suppressing the vote. It did no such thing. It asked that you have an ID. Then if you suggest that a minority it, it cannot get an ID, then you are insulting that group of people. It's Absolutely. ridiculous to suggest that. And so to suggest that you're going to have a secure and fair election, and by the way, those election laws were more open, more welcoming, because they extended the time, they used Saturday as a voting day. These are opportunities to get more people to vote, much more open than Delaware, where the president of the United States sits, or Colorado, where they moved the all-star baseball game uh, and hurt small business owners and minority owners in, in Georgia. It, it was like the most ridiculous thing ever. So DEI, you, look, you have to, we, look, we want to treat people with fairness and with equanimity, with respect and dignity. That's never that should never be on the table for discussion. It's just it should be the way we are. We are fellow human beings. We need to be civil. We need to show respect. We need to have dignity one for another. In my view, we are all children of God and we need to love and have compassion for everyone. We don't need to agree with each other. That's OK to have a disagreement, but we should continue uh, to, to show love and compassion for each other. But when you have people administering these programs that they can choose how they interpret them yeah you've got a problem and that's kind of like you know when they when they the, the supreme court abolished affirmative action it was a great day for me yeah now it means everybody's got to go out and get their own damn job and not be given a job just because of your diversion you know diversity equity and inclusion um bruce we're coming to an end right now and um I just want to say I like you. I knew I was going to like you. I was told I was going to like you, and I like you. Um, you said some things that some people probably would have stepped away from or softened it up a little bit. That's what we, in the conservative side of things, we want somebody that's not afraid to say it and recognize that it does exist. And um, I will be giving you my vote, that's for sure. And any other candidate who wants to come on my show, because I'm going to get an email from Brian Schatz saying, uh, do everybody get a chance, same amount of time to get on your show or not? You know, so anybody's welcome. Get in touch with me. Go to TMCPNation.com. Email me. Send me a message and you can come on the show. Let me get that out of the way because I know what's coming on that one. But uh, I don't know. be happy about it. What's that? I gave Brian Schott a shout out. He ought to be happy about it. Uh, right, because I don't normally do that. <laughs> but, Bruce, look, I wish you luck. And if you need Thank me you. for anything, and I'm more than welcome to speak at your event, and I can promise you it will be a hell of an event. Um, but I'm going to push you out there on my platform and let people know who you are because I want people to hear your message. I actually listened to you on Rod Arquette yesterday. I'm thinking, okay, I really like this guy. I Thanks. really like this guy. He's just not giving me a bunch of sound bites. And if it was a sound bite, you know, I can use a see through them because you're not saying these things. When you said to me that 
inch by inch by inch that eventually get you to, to the field, the finish line or to the end zone. That's a better answer than somebody telling me, oh, yeah, when I'm going to go there, I'm just going to get rid of this and that. Oh, I'm going to earn in term limits. Well, you're a liar, buddy, because yeah. it takes you and 59 other congressmen just to get the ball rolling. And if those yeah. congressmen don't agree with you, and most likely they won't, because we've heard that song and dance for many years, term limits, term limits, term limits, they're not going to vote themselves, not out of office, but out of money. So that's what's not going to happen. But Bruce, I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Tell people how they can find you and hear more about you or read more about you. It's uh, you can go to the website, Bruce Huff for Congress, and that's spelled F-O-R. No cute number. Just Bruce Huff for Congress dot com and uh, reach out. There's a place there you can volunteer, get a yard sign. You can also just say, hey, Bruce, you are up in the sky on this issue. I want you to tell me why you believe this. Uh, we'll get back to you. Uh, it's and look. I don't know everything. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. Uh, but but here's the deal. I'm going to listen. And I get it's great to listen to the people of the state. They've got wonderful ideas and their experiences literally inform the way I think about things and what I'll be taking to Washington. Well, Bruce, I wish you luck. And um, everybody get out and vote. Vet your candidate make sure you get a real republican running for office and not somebody just giving you a republican soundbite but they're eating the democrat burger every single night and uh look us up on tmcpnation.com tmcpnation.com buy merch read articles read podcasts and once again everybody bruce thank you for being on the show we will see thank you guys you on thursday have a great rest of your week love you all this is the Modern Conservative Podcast with John Harvey.